Hello and welcome to How to Deal When the Shit Gets Real podcast. I'm Rietta. And I'm Connie. And today we are here with Mark Masoner. So, Mark, how do you deal when shit gets real? But in reality, just tell our uh, <laughs> listeners about yourself. So, hi, I'm Mark. I am a 30-odd-something uh, army vet slash ex-Mennonite who is currently a social worker in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. The most important thing about me is that I love, love coffee because it was banned in my house as a drug. So the very first time I drank coffee, it was like I was drinking crack, like liquid crack. Like (laughs) it was insane. So I can relate. My my family was uh, totally no coffee. And then I got to college and then I was like, ooh, coffee. Yeah, I got my first job away from home and I would stop every morning at the Turkey Hill down, like down the road and get coffee on my way to work. Was it just banned because it was considered a drug? Was there more into it than that? Or is that just the main reason? Yeah, my parents considered it like a drug. They considered it on par with like cocaine or marijuana. Oh, I'm a drug addict. (laughs) Yeah. They, they <laughs> and I remember my sister was dating this guy who grew up in a family where they served coffee and so she got this little pot of like instant coffee to serve him when he came over for his date and I was wow. so mad and I rebelled and I went out and got a french press and Ooh. a coffee pot of my own and yeah, I had a Mexican standoff with my dad over that one. <laughs> Ooh, and French press is the way to go too. You're you're doing it right, also. Yes, I secretly Googled it on my Palm Pilot that I had. Wow, taking that back. The image That's of a yeah. Palm Pilot is really yes. taken back. I had a Palm Pilot back in the day. That was my very very first secret cell phone. That's Ooh. that's awesome. <laughs> You're Go talking ahead. to the boy who hid a plasma TV and a gym bag under his TV under his bed. So that's impressive. I have to say, like, I'm guessing it wasn't a real big one. No, it wasn't a big one. It was one of the, the small ones, and it was one of the very first plasma TVs. And I hid it in my gym bag under my bed. Oh my god! And my mom never found it. Since we're talking about things that were banned, because this is one that I really had a big question about, because I love music. And you talked about in a different podcast how certain music wasn't allowed, which to me, that's like torture. So why was certain music not allowed? What was the reasoning for it? So the church group that I grew up in didn't allow any stringed instruments. What the hell? That's all the good shit. I'm just saying. (laughs) No instrumental music. So only... You were liberal if you listened to piano, but you were conservative if you listened to acapella. I had a piano CD and my dad was like, I don't know about this. I'll have to pray about this. Oh, wow. So what kind of music was allowed then? That doesn't really leave much. Acapella, church approved acapella. So like Mennonites are known for starting up like quartets and octets and choruses. And so they record their music and they sell it to the Mennonites. Well, but technically, couldn't you have some like 
soulful drumming because <laughs> that's not because that's not string <laughs> that would be very found upon <laughs> i figured but i had to I love, try i love how you i love how you said soulful drumming too it wasn't just drumming. i remember the the first time i listened to um led zeppelin oh i, I thought i was gonna go to hell i was like and then aerosmith when he hit that high note I was like, oh my God, I didn't know a man could sing that high. Did you get oh chills? I did. It was, it was so now I am the biggest music buff. Country music, like the classics, literally anything can get me going. Well, at least hey, it being it- banned didn't sour you from liking it later. If anything, it probably made no. you appreciate it more. It did. I'm the biggest, I took a music class in college just so I could learn and understand like how people create music. And uh, what's funny is in my biological family, before I was um, taken away from them, I had learned how to play the piano. And so my very first foster family, we went to visit a worldly family on Sunday and they had a piano. And I sat down at the piano to play a song and I was playing a hymn. I was playing I Need Thee Every Hour. And the guy came up and slammed the piano cover on my fingers. Oof. And I was beaten when I got home. Oh, my God. I've never touched a piano since. That's well, yeah, sad. that's that's traumatizing. <laughs> yeah. That's sad in so many ways. And since you're so. talking about it, I know when I listened and read about your story, you said that your mom decided to send you to live with the Mennonite family. Why did she do that? Was there a reason? Was it based on a persuasion of the church or yes. was there another reason? Okay. Um, the church persuaded her that she could not raise seven children by herself. So they convinced her to part and parcel her children out. So eventually at the end of, by the end of my tenure of the Mennonites, all six of the seven had gone to live with other Mennonite families. All six of us were abused. The only one that was spared was my, the brother that was just under me and he refused to leave my dad. And Brenda, my egg donor, didn't want to go to court. She couldn't do anything about it. So, and he just flat out refused to leave my dad. So he stayed with Mike and got spared the horrors of the Mennonite cults that we were in. Was your dad in on the decision with your mom or was that just something your mom was like, this is happening? She, it was like, this is happening. Okay. Like, and he was happy not to have to care for seven children. Oof. That just breaks my heart just hearing it. Yeah. yeah it Cause he was getting married to a woman who is five years older than me. And already had a kid. So he was starting a new family and it was just. Yeah. Whatever. So he was happy not to have to care for seven children. Do you have any um, contact with any of your brothers and sisters that went to different Mennonite families? I have contact with one sister. She is just two kids now. And I have contact with her. And then I have contact with one of my sister-in-law's. Because I met her when we were in the army together. Oh, that's, yeah. yeah so it's a small we both world. met in the army, and then she realized 
two weeks later that she was dating my biological brother. That's crazy. So, yeah, but there's a lot of anger and there's a lot of hurt in the family. So most of us don't talk. And I'm guessing none of you guys talk to mom or dad anymore. Uh, a few of them talk to Brenda. One of them is actually, he actually ended up having uh, his life kind of fall apart. And um, he moved back in with her. She's still Mennonite. But she is the most narcissistic. I, I can't even think of words to describe her. Her Just- narcissism knows no bounds. Unaware, self-absorbed. I could only imagine because how else would you be giving away your children? You would have to be a deeply self-absorbed person to be like, yeah, take my kids. I don't care if they're getting abused or not. Just go. Yeah, that's that's what she did. And she turned her back when I called her crying, saying this man was hurting me. She ignored me and told me to to behave and to be a good boy. You know, As a mom myself, I can't imagine ever telling my son that. Can't even fathom that. Yeah. This is why I don't want kids. I, I just couldn't. And there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I never saw the love and affection that was needed to give to a child. And it's a lot of responsibility. And if you're not up to the responsibility of it, because you know what it's like to not have that caring mom, then, or mom and dad, you know what I mean? Then, yeah. Right. I did get lucky and get a good foster family that did care for me, but I was so angry and I was so jaded that I just didn't, I didn't respond well to their love. Yeah, you were already scarred and it was basically hard to trust at that point, I imagine. Yeah, so I just, they were the ones who banned the coffee and everything. Mm -hmm. But all in all, I would have to say that they were good people. They truly did care for me. It's just, I wasn't able to accept it. So what's the difference between Mennonite foster care and state foster care? So Mennonite foster care has oversight of other Mennonites, no outside oversight, no state guidelines, no nothing. They just can just take a child and move them across state lines with no judge's orders, no nothing. They just make the decisions for the child. And really, foster care just sounds like a too generous of a term. Sounds yeah. really more like Mennonite it, human trafficking. It's it really, really what it sounds like. It really is because I know people that that's that have been human trafficked, and I consider myself to have been human trafficked because I was I was twelve when I was sent from Washington State to Pennsylvania all by myself on the plane, and I was met by the Mennonites. And there was a brief moment before I went through security where I was like, if I just go tell this cop what's going on, if I just go walk up to him and tell him what's going on, he will save me. Mm -hmm. And I thought about it. I sat there for 10 minutes before I went through security to see the Mennonites. And 
it's my greatest regret that I didn't do that. What stopped you from doing it? Were you were you more scared of what might happen to you if you did tell? Or I I, I think I I had had such a an awful picture painted to me of the outside world that I was I was scared. Like I didn't know, but yet I didn't know what I was getting what I was going into and what I was what I was going into was hell on earth. That first foster family was was literal hell on earth. And that's where the sexual abuse started, correct? Well, the sexual abuse had started before that in another Mennonite cult that we were a part of. So I was already sexually abused and then walking into more abuse. So can you, to however deep or in detail you want to get into it about it, take us down that journey of what happened to you? So I was groomed at a young age. I was groomed at nine. And, you know, I thought this man, I didn't have a stable father figure in my life. And I thought he really like cared for me and really like liked me and wanted to be a part of my life. And then in reality, all he wanted me to do was get on my knees for him. And I didn't know or understand because I had grown up kind of like repressed in a homeschool environment. So I didn't know, I didn't understand what was going on. I just knew that it seemed filthy and icky. And another situation where if you had been in normal foster care, they would have hopefully pulled you out. But the Mennonite foster care obviously didn't. Yeah. No, they didn't. So, and my biological mother... When I told her what was going on, she said, oh, you're such a liar, Mark. You're so dramatic. That didn't happen. She wanted, Brenda wanted the Mennonites to think she was this perfect mother and wife. And so she had everything. She had all the beatings that my biological father gave us. She had all of that from the Mennonites and from the independent fundamentalist Baptists and from the charity people. She hid all that from them and made it seem like we were perfect. And she was the victim. Well, that's definitely a narcissist for you. 100%. Well, I mean, isn't the whole Mennonite system like that? Because they were hiding abuse for all of your siblings were abused. You know what I mean? Like, so basically it sounds like a lot of families were just kind of hiding all of the abuse and pretending at being overly or pretending at being religious and good people. Right. They were, they were sweeping everything under the rug. Like it was no big deal. Yeah. Yeah. And they've been doing that for generations as we've come to discover with our own podcast, the plain people's podcast. They've been doing that for generations. They have been covering up for these sexual abusers. And it's got to stop. So how did you overcome being sexually abused? Because that wears on a person. That's not something that's easily overcome. I remember I was was in Fort Riley, Kansas. I was dating this guy. And it was my very first relationship. And I just couldn't, we just couldn't be intimate. Mm -hmm. 
he was like, well, what's wrong? Is it me? And I was like, no, it's me. And so we poured, you know, he poured me a glass of wine and set me down. And he was like, just tell me what's going on. And I just kind of like lost it. And I, I told him everything. And he, he like looked at me and grabbed my hands and he said, you were sexually abused. Like you had pieces of you taken Mm -hmm. that never should have been taken from you. And so um, he really opened up my eyes to the fact that I had been abused. Cause up until then I was just denying it. Like, like it didn't happen. Like I had always been told to suppress my feelings, to not dwell on it. And so when I chose to be intimate, I couldn't be intimate. You know, I obviously like I'd been intimate before with the Mennonite men, but it was not by choice. It was never yeah. by choice. Yeah. And so when I chose to be intimate is when the stumbling, like the, the roadblocks came into place. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we had to figure out what was going on. And luckily he had a master's degree in counseling. So he was equipped to help counsel me. you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He kind of helped, like, like helped me through, told me to go to therapy. Um, so I made an appointment and I went to mental health two days later and was just crying in the doctor's office. How wonderful and though, that they- you had the right person to, open up yeah. to to start with like at least it was yeah. the right part I mean it, of course we you wish that never happened to you and you never had to go through that but at least when you finally did decide to talk about it you had the right person to hold your hand right I was I'm very thankful for him for him guiding me and being there for me at my most vulnerable it was getting a card back you, you got a little grace back after everything yes I did I did and it's taken years of therapy. Like I'm still in therapy and I'm in therapy I for would other, be too. other things like military related. And, you know, I like to say I've been in therapy ever since 2010. Hey, there's nothing wrong with that. I go to therapy myself. Mm-hmm. I feel like everybody could benefit from therapy in a way, but obviously someone with your past, it's even more important. So I'm glad that you are finding ways to cope and feel better and know your worth. Knowing my worth was a huge part, like realizing that I am worthy, that I have a place at the table, that I'm worthy of an education, that I'm worthy of healing. I didn't realize that. I I didn't think that I was. I thought that healing was for people who, yeah, I just thought it wasn't for me. I just thought I would never be healed or have any get any type of closure and I did get closure I actually civilly sued one of the men who abused me good for you good for you yeah and got a settlement the look on that man's face when the judge told him how much money he was going to have to pay me was priceless he didn't care that he had abused me he didn't care that what he had done yeah did it feel good, you know, being it did. getting, yeah? It did. I didn't want the money. I wanted the vindication. Yeah. To see his face, to see that face on what he was going to owe you. Yeah. Yes. Like it's worth a million dollars, right? 
I was just going to say, I'm sure you didn't do it for the money. You did it to to do the right thing. Yeah, because I knew there was no way I would ever get justice in criminal court. Mm-hmm. And the abuse was never going to stop if you didn't do that. Right. Was- right. So how did you escape or get out of the Mennonite church? Wasn't living at my parents anymore. I was working out in another part of Pennsylvania and I was living with this family and the man was abusive towards me and when I told him enough was enough he told me that I had three days to leave and he was changing the locks and so I moved myself into a motel I still had my job I didn't know where to go or what to do I moved myself into a motel and then uh, a worldly friend suggested that I look in Craigslist for an apartment and I found one and I what I didn't realize was that it was in a halfway house so I lived in a halfway house that had to be better than where you were I mean I would think. yeah yeah so I'm like I I, I I joke when my clients tell me that they're coming from a halfway house or they hate living in a halfway house I'm like I get it I lived in one I was under church censure at the time. What's that mean? So I was held back from giving the the holy kiss and from communion. Okay, got it. And so I decided that I was going to leave. And they were trying to find me another place to live. So I was going to go back and live with another Mennonite family. And I was like, the cycle is going to start all over again. Yeah, you're like, hell no. I thought, what can I do? And I just, the thought, join the army came to mind. So I went to see the local army recruiter. As luck would have it, he was ex-Mennonite himself. Wow. Yeah. Sergeant Stauffer. Sergeant Stauffer. He guided me through the whole process. It's like you're getting these little signs that you were going the right direction. Right. Walked me hand by hand. So I will ever forever be thankful to him. How old were you at this time? I was 20. Yeah, I was 20. Okay. So you didn't get out until you were 20. Yeah, I was 20. And so I, um, I did all the necessary paperwork to do the army. I had everything that I needed. He, I had a ship date within, and that was back when, you know, the army was recruiting heavily and we needed forces. I had a ship date within a week and I went to the church on a Saturday morning and said, I'm withdrawing my membership. And then I told my parents that I was leaving and I shipped out Tuesday morning. I bet that was liberating. Oh, it it was, it was so liberating, but you know, funny story. So when I get to Fort Jackson, South Carolina, we had to change from our civilian clothes into PTs. And I'm standing there in the changing room and I'm like, drill sergeant. And he's like, what? And I'm like, I can't go out like this. And he's like, he's like, what the F do you mean, private? And I was like, I can't go out in shorts. And he's like, what do you mean? And I was like, there's women present, drill sergeant. And he's like, what is wrong with you? (laughs) And I had these tasty white legs and I was like, I can't go out in shorts. There's women present. And so we had this, like, we're having this argument and the commander came over and 
the commander and the XO came over and they were like, what's going on? And the first sergeant and they were like, what's going on? And I'm like about in tears at this point. And I was like, I can't show my bare legs to women. And they're like, what? what religion do you come from? And I said, Mennonite. And the commander is like, oh, Mennonite. He's like, I got it. So he actually, even though we all know that this is not what 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 commanders do, he actually took me to the side and like talked to me and made me comfortable enough to go out and short. Your so, legs were free these... for the first time yeah. ever. <laughs> yeah, I had never worn shorts in public. That's kind like of that, that is funny so I... because you were in boot camp for the first time free in shorts, but you were in boot camp. It's kind of redundant. Yeah, in a lot of ways, the army was like the church. It had yeah. the hierarchy, it had the rules, it had the everything. So I was like completely comfortable with it. Makes sense. I was like used to it. You were so. going out into the real world, but you were taking baby steps. It was just baby yes. steps. You know, you're like, I, I can't have no rules. I need some rules. So army. <laughs> I remember after I was out and we were on a path and we could drink and everybody was like, let's get Mason or drunk. Oh God. <laughs> and I swear it took maybe two mojitos to have me about on my ass <laughs> oh i love that it was funny it was funny so but the mennonite church to you brainwashing did you know you were being brainwashed while you were there or it just kind of happened i had an idea that i was being brainwashed but you know, it was all I knew and I didn't know anywhere else to go. I've often wondered what I would have done if I would have ran, where I would have gone, what would have happened to me. Uh, yeah, I was very much brainwashed for the for the first couple of years after I got out. Yeah, then you started to really realize like with the shorts thing that, oh, wait, that's like I was brainwashed into thinking that that matters like the shorts not being around women in shorts yeah or with my shirt off or I remember mm -hmm. we we went swimming we were in Georgia we'd gone to visit some friends in Benning and we went swimming at the pool at Fort Benning because it was warm and I was like I can't take my shirt off everyone's like laughing and they were like you have to and I was like so I did and and to me, it was like liberating to be like out in a public pool swimming with no shirt on. Yeah. I mean, for the rest of us, we take something like that for granted. We think it's just every day. And yeah. here you come and you're like, what? No, we don't do that. Yeah, we don't we don't shrink. We don't we don't play video games to this day. I'm still not a gamer. Every guy in the barracks had an Xbox or a PlayStation. <laughs> my Not brother me. Sure did. Yeah, yeah. My husband's a Marine, so we see it a lot, too. There's a lot of gamers in the military, that's for sure. Yeah, not me. I still can't for the la I bought the new PlayStation, and it's just sitting. My friends are like, oh, you should play Warzone. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> I'll try. <laughs> 
So did you come out gay in when you were still in the Mennonite community or was that something you waited for? Because it wasn't, I'm assuming that was if you couldn't wear no shirt, I'm assuming being gay was frowned upon. Oh, absolutely. I didn't know what being gay or straight actually was. I just knew that I liked men and being the fact that I was abused by men I kind of thought that this was normal. So I kind of thought it was normalized. I never officially came out until Don't Ask, Don't Tell was repealed. Okay, so when you were in the army? Yeah, I never officially came out until Don't Ask, Don't Tell was repealed. A lot of people thought I was. I did get in trouble in the church for being with another guy. But what they didn't realize is he was abusing me and it was not consensual. So I was assaulted. And all that does is add to your confusion. Cause like you said, yeah. if you didn't, you don't know gay or straight. And then if you're having men want things from you, I could absolutely see why that would be confusing and why you weren't sure. The backlash is insane. Yeah. Yeah. I even during the brief time before, after I left the church and I joined the army, I even did porn. Because a nice man told me that I had a body for it and a face for it. So wait a minute. And so So music is frowned upon and coffee is frowned upon, but porn is not? Well, this was when I was leaving the church. Oh, it was when you were leaving. Okay. I was like, wait a minute. Mennonite is confusing me. (laughs) No, when I was leaving the church. (laughs) Yeah, I briefly did porn when you don't know and you have somebody telling you like, Hey, you'd be good at this. And it's a way to make money. I mean, yeah. What else? Why not? I just have a question. Cause when I listened to a different, when I listened to your podcast on the plain peoples and you talked about your story briefly, um, you talked about the Eastern church and that was, I didn't, I don't know what the differences are. Yes. There are huge differences in the Mennonite churches. Eastern is one of the ultra conservative Mennonite churches and it's more like a cult so you've got your mainstream Mennonites who don't look any different than you or me mm-hmm. okay then you've got your your kind of like less plain but they still wear a covering but they allow like a television and a radio and you can drive whatever car you want then you have your groups like Eastern who are militant and say you can only drive black cars. You can't do this. You can't do that. Okay. So they're like the strictest of the strict, basically. Yes, they and are. More brainwashy. <laughs> yes, they are very brainwashy. They are very brainwashy. They're very elitist. You know, they believe that they're the only ones who are saved. They don't talk to a lot of other Mennonites. They don't like share their pulpit so to speak, with a lot of other Mennonites. Okay. Because I know they're, I mean, before I knew Jasper or before I knew you, I I mean, I always assume that there are good and bad parts of things. I never knew about the, like the darker side of the Mennonites. I You only hear about like the Amish and the Mennonites that you see on TV and that are like depicted. Is there really a good side to it or is most of it on this darker side that you experience since there was so much abuse um, in your family? For the lucky ones who get to grow up innocent and free, there is a good side to it. Because, you know, at the end of the day, there's nothing wrong with not exposing yourself to 
modern media or yeah. Cardi B, you know, <laughs> there's, you know, there's yeah. nothing wrong with not exposing yourself to that. No, like I can not. get, I can get behind, you know, some of the rules that they have in place, you know, except for that for, no coffee thing. Yeah. Except for the <laughs> no coffee thing. I'm drinking my coffee right now. <laughs> I can get behind a lot of the rules. There's nothing wrong with with dressing modestly and not, you know, flashing your tits all over the place. And, you know, <laughs> there's but nothing wrong so with that. I know. I mean, there's do it, don't do it, but there's nothing wrong with not doing it. If yeah, you wanna yeah. if if you wanna belong to a church group that says we don't do this then belong to it but don't force somebody to belong to it yeah that's my my key on that they force you to belong to it they force you to be a part of it that's kind of like where I come out on on it is some of the rules are archaic and ridiculous but if you make the decision that you want to follow them that's great. Just don't force your family to follow them. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. So what brought about then the Plain People's co- Podcast? What brought you and Jasper together and thought, okay, we need to do this? Jasper and I, we were brainstorming and we were trying to decide how we can help people bring out their voices and have their voices heard because a lot of survivors of sexual abuse, they've been suppressed So we decided we would create a platform where people could tell their truth because at the time I was being threatened by a very well-known Anabaptist slash Mennonite minister. He was threatening me. He was blackmailing me. And Jasper and I were like, enough is enough. We're going to tell our truth. How is he blackmailing you? He knew some information about a deal that I had done to get my little brother out of the Mennonites. Ah, so he was trying to use it to his advantage. Yes. Because I knew some truth about him and he was trying to, to blackmail me. Wow. It just doesn't, that didn't work for him. That didn't work for him because I do not bend. I do not break. Good for you though. Heck yeah. Good for you. And now you're not only sharing your your story, but Everybody all the else's. stories that needs to be told, which is amazing. Yeah, we've had countless people come on and tell horrific stories of abuse in these churches. I've personally gotten death threats. Jasper and I have been told that we have people following us. Because of the threats, do you carry a gun or? Uh, oh yeah, it, I have. Uh, I, have concealed, it, I have concealed carry. Yeah. I would definitely you. do that too if I was getting threats for sure. Yeah, I have concealed carry and I keep a shotgun right beside my bed. No one's going to sneak up on you. Yeah, no, I will. Yeah, so if Mr. Blank Blank wants to send his goons after me, send them away. So I am curious, how uh, did you like the military? Like, what was your military experience like? My military experience was very unique because I was just coming out of a plain church 
And I didn't understand a lot of how the world worked. I didn't always have the greatest military experience. I met some great people who will always be my friends, but ultimately it was time to get out and go to college. And so I did. And I was very happy for that. But I'll always be thankful for the lessons that I learned while I was in the military. The truth that I learned about myself. But I I didn't always have the greatest military experience. And neither did my brother. It happens. Yeah, it does. Thought I was going to be this stellar hula hula soldier and have this great career and didn't. And for that, I'll always regret that. One of my close friends just joined the army and I kind of laid out a career path for him and a guide path for him and he's following it. Oh, that's so nice of you. Yeah, and it's really good to see him flourish and to, you know, to be in psyops and everything that I wanted to be to mm-hmm. kind of like follow in my footsteps. I'm really happy for him. So I get to well, live that- my dream vicariously through him. And that's amazing. <laughs> and plus, you know, you could just view your time in the military as your gateway to doing something else you really wanted to do, like your social work. Right, right. I mean, it paid for my college. It, yeah. So I, I really can't complain. How do you like being a social worker? I have a really good friend who's a social worker, and she always tells me she loves it, but it's it's very draining. It is very draining. I work in homelessness and poverty, so I work with a lot of people who are homeless and destitute and. So it does get to be a little draining, but it's very, very rewarding. How do you help people in situations like that? What are you, do you like help them find a home? Like what, what's your goal? Yeah. My goal is to kind of like support, just to be there for them, to listen, to talk, to help them access services at the, where I work, but more just to talk, to be a mediator because I work down in the emergency shelter. So mm-hmm. I'm with the people who aren't in the residential programs or anything. So I work with them. But yeah, it's hard sometimes because, you know, I realized that I was one step away from them. Yeah. At one point in my life. It's got to be heartbreaking, too, to see people at their at their lowest. <laughs> yeah, it is. But if you can get them back on your feet... And that's even better. Yep. Yeah. So did you decide on uh, being so on social work because of your upbringing and what happened to you? Yes, I did. That was the direct influence. When I was looking at schools and like looking at programs, I was like, I want to be a social worker. Like I researched degrees. I'd initially wanted to be a lawyer and, um, my LSAT and everything and then just decided it wasn't for me so I don't I really became... see you as a gutless lawyer <laughs> no <laughs> they're soulless no. I'm just kidding true soulless no, gutless could... you know <laughs> I couldn't do that I couldn't be that no I have too much of a heart for people to, to just lie about my client. Now I know lawyers don't always lie, but 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but still. Yeah. But still, yeah, I get what you're saying. And it's, I think it's wonderful that after everything that you've gone through, you still have this huge heart. Like, I think that yeah. you, didn't, you didn't lose yourself totally in the whole, in the whole shebang. Yeah, thank you. Mark, is there anything <laughs> that you want to add that you think is important or that you just want to share or let people know? Feel free, of course, to talk about the podcast. I love the podcast. Yeah. I, I have the, the Plain People's Podcast. And it's been very therapeutic for me and healing for me to know that there are others, Mennonites and Amish, other plain people who went through what I went through and have survived. Yeah. And so I think no matter what group you grew up in or what kind of abuse you suffered, we've all survived something. Yeah. Like we've all had something happen to us and we've all survived something. So the fact that we're standing here, breathing, alive, holding it together is the testament to the human mind and how great and wonderful it is. I'm a huge proponent of self-care. So if I could leave your listeners with anything, it is take time for yourself, listen to your body, do what your body needs to do in order to heal, but just take that time for yourself in order to heal. Do you stay in contact with your guests because you guys do have similar backgrounds? Do you, do you make friends? Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm, I am uh, close friends with a lot of my guests, not all of them, but a lot of them. See, and I love that. Cause then you guys are not only getting their stories out there, but you're basically making a new family for each other. Yeah, we are. So when is the plain people's podcast drop again? I know you guys had taken a break and you're getting ready to start. So when, uh, when is it coming back? That is uh, this spring is, what we're anticipating so. spring okay yeah nice so make sure you guys listen this spring then and if you haven't listened you've got a whole bunch of episodes to listen to the plain people's podcast which is on all major platforms yes. just like Thank this you. one what yeah <laughs> i actually listened to some episodes of this podcast before yeah what you um, think <laughs> i was great i loved it well thank you we appreciate it too don't forget to drop us a review. <laughs> yes, I will. Well, well, you know, we're going to do favors for each other here. <laughs> Honey, you're shameless. I love it. <laughs> Anytime. Hey, this is our podcast. I can ask people's opinions on our podcast if I want. Exactly. So this is how to deal when shit gets real. Our episodes come out every Friday. Uh, Don't forget to leave us a review and hit us up on all of our social media. And thank you, Mark, for being our guest. It was a pleasure. Yes. Yes. Thank you so much.